welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio. Join us each week as we delve into some of life's most complex questions. It's time to explore the unexplained with your hosts, Karen Frazier and Rick Hale. Everybody, welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio this Thursday night. I am Karen Fraser. Rick Hale is off tonight, but sitting in with me is Cheryl Knight. Hey, Cheryl, how's it going, Karen? Thank you for sitting in. I think oh, you and welcome. I make a great team, and I think we this did. is actually really appropriate that you are sitting in with me tonight because you and I did the pre-record of the first interview we're going to play tonight. We, we were did. The other interview. We did it last week. When was it? Friday, I think. No. Yeah, yeah it's Friday. Friday. And it was a doozy it was a doozy and i'm going to uh give our listeners a little pre-warning um please do listen because bishop long has a lot to say but i will tell you this i don't get scared of paranormal things and i had nightmares that night Hmm. yeah that says a lot right there it does it does he talked about demonology in a way that i had never heard it talked about before nor considered it before you know what i mean yeah 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 (laughs) and so he gave me something to think about and think about it i did and apparently my subconscious continued to think about it after Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah long after 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 bed so um you know just a little warning if you have young people people who get frightened very easily at things like that listening to the show with you i would strongly suggest that maybe this one isn't the one for those people to listen to would you agree with that cheryl yeah i would agree i i think yeah the little ones probably shouldn't be listening at this time no no definitely not and then in our second hour we are going to be talking to is it mari is that how you say it is it? yes Mari Wells, she's a writer for Paranormal Underground Radio, so is uh, Bishop James Long, by the way, or for Paranormal Underground Magazine. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking about um, vampire lore Mm -hmm. and um, that type of thing, which is perfect for a mid-October show as we approach Halloween. Definitely. Halloween stuff. I love it. I know. So do you guys have any big Halloween plans? Our Halloween plans are to gather around the candy and eat candy and watch movies (laughs) (laughs) are you gonna at least watch scary movies of of course yes yeah yeah there's we have one tradition which is to watch um nightmare before christmas but other than that we watch scary stuff yeah, yeah, and see, now, we don't have any little kids in our house anymore. You don't, and neither no. do I. And so Halloween has changed a lot in the last several years. It has. And so we aren't doing anything on Halloween specifically, but mm-hmm. we are having a, a, my team, my SSPR, is having a potluck. Oh, cool. A few days after Halloween, and we will be watching The Conjuring and American Ghost Hunter. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen the, you you haven't seen The Conjuring No, yet, I have, have not okay. seen it yet. Okay. Well, I cannot wait to hear back from you on that. <laughs> I I really can't. Um, you know, we talked to Andrea uh, Perrin last week, and that yeah. was an, another great interview, by the way. But um, yeah, I think the movie was highly entertaining. So I can't wait to see what you thought. What was it? Oh, American Ghost Hunter. Yes. Okay, I have not seen that one myself. Um. So I believe it's some project that ryan buell worked on yes yeah um oh and um oh my gosh i've i'm totally running a blank right now uh ryan and chad what is chad's last name i don't know oh i'm gonna oh 
I don't know, but we had him on the cover. Patty ordered we, that, so we she had, bringing Chad Caleb, thank you. Um, oh. We had him on the cover of our magazine, for goodness sake, and my memory has failed me once again, <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I've been meaning to watch it, and I haven't gotten to see it, so I want to hear also what you think about that. Yeah, okay. Because uh, we've invited things, but... the members of Whoopi to join us for that event oh, that okay. we're having here at my house. So all very exciting. The other thing is that we are... Um, after, so, you know, um, I've been going to Wellington since 2009. Yeah. And, of course, you know the story very well, because whenever anything happens, I call you and go, like, oh, man, you got to check this out. <laughs> so, you, so, you know the story very well. Well, one of the things that many psychics and mediums have told us who have gone up there, and even people who have read them from afar mm-hmm. and things, we get one message consistently, and that is that we want a memorial. We want a sign. We want a sign that says yeah. our names on it. We want to be remembered. Mm-hmm. Well, we are, um, thanks to our good friend Elaine Davison at Whoopi, she mm-hmm. and her husband Bob made signs, made trail signs. Wow, that's great. With all of their names, and we'll be heading up there if it doesn't snow, because there's already been snow up there. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of this month, we'll be heading okay. up there and, and having a and, and giving them what they've been asking for oh. since 2009. And I am so profoundly grateful to Elaine and Bob who yeah. made that happen. That it's kind of like a a, a big circle then, like it's yeah. kind of come around and wow, it that's is. Great. It, it is. It's we're finally at a place I think where um, my hope. And, uh, you know, this makes me happy to think and sad to think. Uh, mm-hmm. Sad for personal reasons, happy for them. My hope is this is the closure they need so that they can be at rest mm-hmm. and they can think, be at peace. I think it is. I really mm-hmm. do. I, I think, yeah, well, they've know, been asking for it long enough, let me tell you. Yeah, and for those who've read your book or know about the, the Wellington story, I think that they can see that they've been asking for this and it's it's something that means a lot. So. Yeah, it does. And and like I say, if they had just asked through one psychic, mm-hmm. but everybody, every psychic that we've ever had that we've talked to about that place, that's been like the number one message mm-hmm. that's come through. Right. Yeah. So, so, and Elaine was one of the psychics that got that message. Mm-hmm. And boy, she sprang into action. And Elaine is a woman who gets stuff done. She's all about action. <laughs> she is. She is. You know, I'm all about feelings and, oh, how can I help? I mean, but yeah. I had no idea how we were going to do this sign. Well, she was on the horn with the, the, U.S. Forest Service and finding out the requirements, mm-hmm. and I think she and Bob built it, and she works for a company where she was able to make the uh, the posters that go on it under glass. Of course, it's all weatherproof, and she figured out how to do all the weatherproofing. And wow, you know, she's she's amazing. She's she, got all the details. Well, she did something else too, mm-hmm. and I, and so I have to tell you now. You and I have talked, of course, about my search for Nellie Sharp. Yeah. And it's something that I've talked a little on the radio show about, but just mm-hmm. to, to bring people who are new to the show up to date, essentially Wellington is a place that's haunted. Um, I've been going there since 2009. I've written two books about it. It's been a, I've been almost obsessed with the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the people who was killed in this train accident that caused Wellington to be haunted mm-hmm. is somebody, um, was a woman that I felt very drawn to. Her name is Nellie Sharp. Uh, she is a, she was a, she wrote for a newspaper, which I do. She was a musician, which I am. Mm-hmm. She, and a lot of things. And I've had several psychics suggest to me that I was Nellie Sharp in a past life. And then I, um, you have to read my books to totally understand where I am 
But one of the things that I've been dying for is a picture of Nellie Sharp. Mm-hmm. Well, Elaine knew that, and she jumped on it, and mm-hmm. she's been doing massive genealogical research. She's been calling relatives of Nellie Sharp. She's been calling wow. people all over the country, um, you know, cemeteries and all sorts of stuff, trying to to come up with this picture. Well, as you know, last Thursday, mm-hmm. she sent us a picture of Nellie Sharp. The only problem is we don't know which one Nellie is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because it's a picture of Nellie right. Sharp's class. Right. And Nellie is one of the people in there. So, there somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, I actually posted it on one of my websites. I'm going to have to remember which one. I think it's authorkarenfraser.com. Okay. If you go to the blog. Mm-hmm. Um, I posted the picture. And, you know, I would love for y'all to go look and, and tell me which one you think is Nellie Sharp. Did you have a guess? Um, I did have a guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. I did, and, and so did Elaine. And I mean, you know, we've all had guesses, but yeah. I don't know. I'd just yeah. be curious to see if a consensus starts to arise. What, yeah. as to, she was de- she was described as a a sh- uh, short, decidedly stout young woman of ebullient good humor. Wow. Hmm. I know. I don't know anybody like that. <laughs> Who does that sound like? <laughs> I don't know anybody like that. <laughs> Yeah. Not even a little. So anyway, you know, I'm not I, I, I don't know. It's um It's exciting. You must be just bursting to I'm, make it I'm to the s- date. Yeah, I'm yeah. so grateful to Elaine. I mean, yeah. I just and I, I'm I'm very humbled too because it was something that I lacked the capacity to make happen. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? That's you know, sometimes we come across friends and people who make things happen that we can't for some reason so yeah there you go definitely so all very exciting things on the wellington front although i am sad because there was snow up there about a week and a half two weeks ago there was snow at the pass okay and we've been watching it very carefully and it seems like we're still it's because it's almost the end of the month when we're going in well um, it seems like we'll get in so we'll see yeah hope i'll hope you guys get in hopefully the snow will hold off um and it looks like somebody in our chat room um, read your articles on Wellington, and they thought oh. it was a fascinating place. I so. have to tell Vicki Vale in our chat room something, and this is something that I have not ever shared with our listeners. Maybe I have. Okay. So back in the day when I was a young, thin, hot young girl, <laughs> I used to model. And one of my modeling jobs, I was a manager for a professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. And guess what my stage name as the manager was? Vicky Vale. Oh, how funny! <laughs> Woo, go well, Vicky you know who Vicky Vale is. Yeah, Batman. Yeah, exactly. So that yeah. was my, but that was my stage name. Well, she wasn't Batman. She was the reporter from Batman. No, no, no. Right, but she yeah. was my. So that was my <laughs> stage name. So. Cool. Wow. Look at that. I know. Oh, speaking it's, of names, before yeah. before we go to to break, I have to say Chad corrected me on an error that I I was trying to remember Chad's uh from uh American Ghost Hunter, his last name. I said the wrong name. I said Caleb. It's actually uh Kalek, K A L E K. So, I'm sorry for that error and thank you Chad for correcting me. Okay, and that picture of the Nellie Sharp class is on author mm-hmm. Karen Fraser, F R A Z I E R dot com. And just click on the blog link. It's actually the very top blog entry there. So, cool. picture, uh, there's an old timey looking picture there. Mm-hmm. And um, somewhere in that is Nellie Sharp. 
Wow, it's just it, it it boggles the mind. I mean, if you think about the similarities between you and Nellie Sharp, doesn't it? It does. It yeah. does. Oh, and she golfed too. Really? Yeah, she's a golfer too. Wow. I know, and <laughs> you know, I grew up golfing. So. <laughs> yep. All right, let's do this. Let's <laughs> take a break because when we come back, we are going to be playing that absolutely fascinating interview with Bishop James Long. So stick around. We're going to go to break. Uh, It's Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. We will be right back. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Visit us today at ParanormalUnderground.net and get a 12-month digital subscription for 15% off the cover price. It's Karen Frazier. I'm here with my co-host of Paranormal Underground Radio, Rick Hale. Hi, everyone. We invite you to join Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network to explore the unexplained every Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific and other times in the flyover states. (laughs) Each week we talk with investigators in the field, researchers, authors, and experts about topics that include paranormal investigation, ufology, cryptozoology, and spirituality. So, please join us each Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern for Paranormal Talk with great guests right here on HazyRadioNetwork.com. Do you want to keep up with what's going on at Paranormal Underground? Then tweet us on Twitter at ParanormalUG. Or follow us on Facebook at Paranormal Underground. Meet us on MySpace, Paranormal Underground. There's no need to be in the dark about what's going on at Paranormal Underground. Join us on your favorite social networking site today. Hey, this is Karen Frazier, writer and radio host with Paranormal Underground. Since I wrote my book, Avalanche of Spirits, The Ghosts of Wellington in 2010, people have asked me what happened next. In my new book, Dancing with the Afterlife, a paranormal memoir, my Wellington story continues. Dancing with the Afterlife is more than the continuation of the Wellington story, however. It's also the story of a lifetime of afterlife research and paranormal encounters. What I've learned has changed my life, and it might change yours as well. To learn more about Dancing with the Afterlife or to read an excerpt from the book, visit DancingWithTheAfterlife.com. Thank you. Hi, this is Hazy, and you're listening to the Hazy Radio Network. The views expressed and the opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Hazy Radio Network, its affiliates, or sponsors. All shows are independently owned and broadcast for entertainment purposes only. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. I am Karen. Rick is off tonight, and with me is Cheryl Knight. Hey. 
Hey. <laughs> so we are going to take you to our pre-recorded interview with our guest, Bishop James Long. But before we do, I just wanted to tell you who this man is. So he studied for the Roman Catholic priesthood for six years, and then he was ordained as a deacon and priest and was consecrated a bishop within the Old Catholic Church. Currently, he serves as presiding archbishop for the United States Old Catholic Church. He holds a doctorate of ministry, a master's of divinity, a master's of education, a bachelor's of communication theory. Wow, I feel dumb. And associates <laughs> of philosophy. And he has been on um, Ghost Adventures. He has served as an advisor for those guys when, when that's come mm-hmm. up and he's needed to, they've needed help of that nature. So let's play our interview with Bishop James Long. Okay, here we go. Bishop Long, welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio. Well, thanks. I appreciate you having me having me here. Yeah, glad to have you with us. So, um, I noticed that you are with the Old Catholic Church, which is distinct from the Roman Catholic Church. Is that correct? That is correct. So, tell me what that is, the Old Catholic Church. Well, the Old Catholic Church actually uh, branched away from the Roman Catholic Church uh, officially around the 1870s or so, and that was because of papal infallibility. And so what happened was actually the church, there was a church in Netherlands uh, that was given complete autonomy uh, by Pope Leo uh, X. And so the church at that time had built you know, a, a very vast uh, wealth and... So they, they were doing quite well, and, but the Roman church at that time was not doing so well financially. And so they decided to then go into the church of Netherlands and say, well, now we want all your property. <laughs> and the people said, well, that's not going to happen because we have autonomy and, you know, these assets are ours and you're not going to take them over. So there was a huge, huge, huge fight over that. Um, but then what happened is uh, in the 1870s, the Pope declared himself infallible. Uh, without error, and the church in Netherlands wasn't having that. After all, the property was about to be seized, and so that's when there was a huge split within the church, and they, you know, said, no, no, you're, you're, you're not without error. There's no man without error, and so that's what happens in 1870, so uh, over papal infallibility, and there's a couple of the doctrines as well, but primarily papal infallibility. Okay, I was going to ask if there were any other differences. So there are a few differences in doctrine, but otherwise it's, it's pretty much the Catholic Church? Oh, it is a Catholic Church. I mean, right, right. I mean the, the Roman Catholic Church does not own the name Catholic. Catholic is universal. We celebrate all seven sacraments. We have apostolic succession. As a matter of fact, you know, you know, if the Roman Catholic Church is the source of truth um, in, in many of these matters, they, they need to see if the Roman Catholic Church teaches. And it's you know, an official document, Dominus Sexus, and uh, it's issued during the reign of Pope John Paul II. And actually then it was signed by Cardinal Ratzinger, who's you know, Pope uh, Benedict. And it clearly stated that the old Catholics, therefore there exists a single Church of Christ, which subsists in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, governed by the successor of Peter, and, and it goes on and talks about how the old Catholics share in the apostolic succession, and therefore they are validly Catholic. And now this is the Roman Canon Law, this is not James Long, this is, so the, the Roman Canon Law clearly states that any church that has apostolic succession within certainly of the old Catholics, that they are most certainly validly Catholic, although not in communion with Rome. Got it. Okay, thank you. So, Bishop, hi Bishop Long, this is Cheryl. I have a question for you about your current work um, with the Catholic Church. Can you talk about 
your current role and um, kind of, you know, where it takes you and how it, it leads you into the, the paranormal realm at times? Yeah, well, really, okay, so what, what I have going on is, being the, the presider, Arch, presiding Archbishop of the United States of Catholic Church, there is a tremendous amount of other responsibilities that I have. And so we, we have a seminary. We also have seminarians. We have a parish in Louisville. We have several ministries, homeless ministry, a chaplaincy ministry. Um, we go visit the nursing homes. So there are, our ministries, we have a lot going on. And the paranormal is one ministry that we do. But we really, I kind of, we are assisting the paranormal community in that we deal with theological issues, such as demonology. Mm -hmm. well, because demonology is not paranormal. Demonology is theological. And so there's people taking demonology and they try to secularize it. They made a secular term, and it's not. Demonology absolutely is religious. And right. so clergy, then, we come in and we offer that assistance to the paranormal community when they need our assistance. And about 14 years ago, I started the paranormal clergy because there was no clergy helping the paranormal community. And so I then created this organization to where we have teams all across the United States, very experienced teams. And when they get a case, uh, we, Kat Lang and Rich Valdez, who are the two full-time administrators for the paranormal clergy, will review the case and they'll send those out to the affiliates. The affiliates will investigate, and if it warrants the clergy's attention, then the clergy gets involved. But now, you know, it's, it's a very large organization and something that I'm very proud of. So, my team, when we have um, somebody who contacts us, we, we typically have, you know, a diff couple of different kinds. And one of them is always the, the people who are sure that they have a demon in their house. And what we always tell them is, if you truly believe that this is a demonic issue, then that's an issue for the church. It's not an issue for us. So when you have paranormal teams who have somebody where they feel like, um, for whatever reason, that it's, it's in the realm of demonology, what do you recommend that they do? Well, first, I, I, I always tell them never, ever tell the homeowners that they have a demon in the home. Yes, because absolutely. Because you have a lot of paranormal investigators who are running around pretending that they know the difference between demonic entity and poltergeist, and yet they've never right. studied demonology in their lives. Right. And they scare the hell out of these homeowners who are truly legitimately frightened and they say well you have a demon in your home but we can't help you goodbye well they right. appreciate that that's, that's, well, that's not mean pastoral at all that's terrible right and so one thing that I absolutely you know, would tell paranormal investigators do not tell homeowners that they have a demon in their home you get clergy involved get people who actually have spent their entire lives studying this Right. Just as I have no desire to pick up all the paranormal equipment that a lot of paranormal investigators do, and they like to play gadgets, I don't like doing any of that stuff. I haven't studied a lot of that, those equipment, and I don't want to, because my primary focus is on demonology, angelology, and theology. Well, and usually so, they tell us they have a demon, so <laughs> that's, that's usually the true. first one. Yeah. And you know what, people, look, when, the, when they say that there's a demonic entity going on in their home, there's one of four things going on. And these are, these are the four variables that I created, that I tell paranormal mm -hmm. teams all the time. One, they're mistaken. And right. they, something can be explained logically. Two, they're blatantly lying because they want attention. Yes. Three, they're telling you the truth. Or four, they have a mental illness. Yes. Those and are the four, four that we noticed, too. <laughs> so can I ask, 
Uh, Bishop Long, can you tell us your definition of what a demon is? A demonic entity is a fallen angel. Um, they're fallen to unconfined angels. Uh, when Lucifer, Lucifer rebelled against God, he fell from his you know, place of prominence and, and led with him a host of lower-ranking demonic uh, angels at that time. Because we be I believe that heaven, uh, especially in heaven, free will still exists. Yes. And so the idea that, that free will just completely is obliterated upon death makes no sense to me. So free will still certainly exists even while in heaven. And we have to understand that we are created in the image of God, not angels. And therefore, angels are here to serve us because we are created in the image of God. We are God's children. And so therefore, Lucifer rebelled against this, this belief. And uh, we believe historically and theologically speaking that he rebelled and, and fell. Okay. So how common, because to hear people tell it, everything is a demon. How common really is a demon in somebody's life or home? It's very rare. Um, possession, I performed 27 exorcisms on individuals who are validly possessed in 10 years. And we're talking about true possession. Sure. Not people who scream and flop, you know, all, all over the floor and I just carry on, you know, like, like a fish out of water. Um, but, but valid possessions. And I was, I was mentored by an exorcist who was a priest for 50 years who was a trained exorcist. So I studied for the Roman Catholic priesthood. And it was during my time in the seminary that I decided that I really wanted to join the independent old Catholic movement because I wanted to help the paranormal community. And I didn't want my hands, you know, kind of tied behind my back or told this right. is what you can and cannot do when right. it comes to helping people who may be of other faiths. Right. And so, but, but it, demonic infestation is rare. Demonic possession is incredibly rare. Again, 27 exorcisms, and we get about 200 emails a day. Wow. <laughs> that many. So what does a true demonic presence, uh, how does it manifest then? Well, when you're talking about infestation, because uh, there's three stages to possession, infestation, oppression, possession, and uh, infestation really occurs for a variety of reasons. Uh, it could be because of a pre-existing haunting. It could have been by some, someone uh, playing with santeria or with Ouija boards or something of, of provoking going to a place and investigating and provoking and causing an attachment. So there are a variety of reasons as to why an infestation may occur. Okay. So, so is it like you see, um, you know, of course everybody goes to The Exorcist or any of those movies as kind of their, their standard of what a, a possession looks like. Is that what it really looks like? And actually, when you're, when you're dealing with exorcism, and of course there's two forms of exorcisms. There's a minor rite of exorcism and a solemn rite. And the minor rite of exorcism is an exorcism which an exorcist clergy will perform uh, a blessing upon a home in which a demonic entity or malevolent spirit has infested itself in it. The purpose of that is to provoke the entity to manifest itself. And then you have an ultimate clash. Now that's different than the solemn rite. The solemn rite is when someone is under the stage of possession and they've endured the stage of oppression and the body and intellect, their intellect and will basically has, has been eradicated. And then that is the stage of possession. Now, 
normally, you know, and, and with possession, you have transient possession and full possession. Transient possession is when a demonic entity enters the body and leaves at will. Whereas full possession, the, the person is at a constant possessed state. And quite honestly, um, more than not, I would say that uh, the exorcisms that I performed, it was um, usually a, a very, um, the oppression was overwhelming, but it wasn't screaming or yelling or hollering and all that stuff. Most of the time, it was the demonic um, possessed the, the body and it would speak. Uh, it would mimic the voice of deceased loved ones. The eyes would dilate black and then white, all black and all white. So it was a, it's, a, it's a more controlled situation because the demonic is trying to control the situation. And it only becomes violent uh, when the ritual continues. So I have a question about um, when, when you're approached uh, with, a, with a case of, of either demonic activity or possession, how do you then go about assessing if it's a, if it's a true uh, possession? Well, with possession, what we have to do is we have to make sure that uh, we're not dealing with a mental illness. That's really, really absolutely crucial. And so when a team, let's say, go out and they investigate and they clearly see that there's something that is concerning to them, then we get involved. And But I don't get involved really until after we have a psychological evaluation performed on the individual. We have to have a psychological. And you, by licensed psychiatrist. And that's primarily because we have to rule out disassociative personality disorder or um, schizophrenia, paranoia schizophrenia. I mean, there's, there's a variety of things that we have to rule out because right. you perform an exorcism on someone with disassociative personality, then you create another personality, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. multiple personality. Or if you, if you perform an exorcism on someone who has paranoia schizophrenia, then you could place them in a mental state of depression and then commit suicide. Mm. So you have to be very careful about, you know, obviously performing exorcisms on people who may be uh, mentally ill. So we have to require a psychological evaluations by a licensed psychiatrist. I need to go to all the medicines that the individual has taken, plus the medical history. Um, so it's extensive background, extensive, and it's something that we, we don't alter from. It's, it's mandatory. How long does the process take from the time you start investigating until, say, the time that you deem it? to be a real possession or not? The investigation should be very simple. I mean, usually if you have a demonic infestation in a home, the oppression is overwhelming. And so paranormal investigators, you don't need a psychic or a medium to tell you that there's a demonic entity in a home. You need the overwhelming, overwhelming oppression is enough for you to know that there's something wrong. Uh, plus there's other things as well that, that demonologists will look for to determine if you truly have a demonic infestation. So once that's determined, then we require, we send them out and say, okay, this is the requirement. If you want a clergy's attention, you have to have a psychological evaluation. We want to know your medical background. We got to know the, the medicines you're taking. I got to speak to your doctor. I have to know all this stuff because I want to make sure that the individual that I am about to obviously assist it really is what's on mentally ill versus, you know, possessed. Now, People say, well, how do you know the difference? Well, a mentally ill person can't levitate. Or a mentally ill person, for example, if I begin to speak the Our Father in Aramaic, and it will say the Our Father backwards in Aramaic as a form of mockery. Oh, I, wow. I, I Seriously? I, 
Yeah, I've, I, absolutely. I've, I've seen that. Oh, and yeah. I cannot, I can't say they are falling backwards in Aramaic. There's no way. Or I, I've, had I've had situations where a demonic entity has mimicked the voice of a deceased loved one. That does occur. Wow. And so, or multiple pitches, the screaming. Um, the Tibetan monks can do uh, three pitches, three tones at the same time. And there have been cases of people possessed during an exorcism in which they've screeched between 32 and 37 tones. Seriously? Wow. Absolutely. So is that, that's, that's in a possession. So you, you mentioned that if someone goes into a home where it's, there's an oppression, it's overwhelming. So is it something you just know if you see or is there something you look for? Well, it's absolutely something you know. I mean, there's, there's no guessing involved. You become very, very sick to your stomach. Uh, your knees will feel like they're about to buckle. You know your sixth sense is telling you, get out of there. There's something not right there. Plus, religious objects are desecrated. There's usually, with the infestation, is a horrific, foul, rotten smell. It, it smells like rotten flesh. I mean, it's, I used to be a chaplain for a police department, and... You know, when someone had committed suicide or something of this nature, and we would go in, and if the body had, had been decomposing, you, you, there's a smell you'll never forget. Um, and it's very similar to that smell, and so the source can't be found. Uh, often when a person is possessed, they will omit um, an odor that they, they, cannot, they cannot remedy, they can't fix. Um, and that happens quite often. So you mentioned levitation a, a couple minutes ago. Have you actually seen somebody levitate who was possessed? Oh, oh, no, I've, I've not seen anyone levitate. However, I have seen a complete contortion of the body that okay. was absolutely 100% unnatural. I have Ooh. heard a muscle snap. I mean, the tendon snap in, in a body. I, I've heard that. Wow. That, I, I can't even, I, I can imagine it, but I don't know what I would do if I had saw it. <laughs> yeah, that's or I, I just, I would be terrified. I, I, I would. Yeah. yeah. So well, you have to have someone medically trained with you during an exorcism because yeah. that's important. Uh, someone who has, is medically trained who can monitor the vitals because the possibility of the individual expiring is very high, especially yeah. in full possession. Holy cow. So there's this thing that you see in a lot of um, media about exorcisms where the family has all of this horrible stuff and somebody comes in and does um, the first type of exorcism you mentioned, which is the small... The, the, with the blessing of the house. And they're like, oh, everything is wonderful, and, and whoever's blessed the house leaves, and it's great for a day, and then all hell breaks loose. Um, is that something that really happens? Sure, absolutely. I mean, you can, and, and you know, sometimes it, it requires several blessings, several. I mean, it's not just once. I mean, sometimes it requires many. And it's very important to understand, when you're talking about the minor right of exorcism, uh, you've got to understand, and even with the possession, the solemn rite, you have to understand the root cause. You have to understand what caused it in the first place. Because if you don't get to the root problem, then mm -hmm. the, it's going to be a revolving door. You can perform a thousand minor rite of exorcisms. But unless you know the root issue that's causing the infestation in the first place, then you're just wasting your time. So it, it's very crucial that you understand what caused it. Hmm. So I know that there are a lot of non-trained people who go in and they try to deal with these things. And so what are the consequences of that? They can kill somebody. That's a pretty big consequence. Well, with the they can kill someone. Um, you know, there was, I think these people need to, 
you know, these people who are going around playing exorcist or playing demonologist, which, and this is, which is another thing, is a lot of people running around playing demonologist, and yet all they've really done is read a book yeah. on demonology yeah. and now think they're a demonologist. That's not the case. I mean, you have to have primary research, and that's actual research in the field, not secondary research, primary research. And quite honestly, demonologists have no business performing rituals that clergy should perform, ever, under no circumstance. John yeah. Zappas would never do that. So I agree with you. I do believe that, um, that demonology is, is theological as opposed to paranormal. But there does tend to be some overlap in the two, wouldn't you? I mean, clearly because of what, what you have, the paranormal part. Now, you mentioned that you have these this paranormal network. Are these paranormal teams that you've worked with so they know how to refer and when to refer, or are they people trained in the demonology? Well, these are individuals who have been in the field for a very long time who are able to debunk uh, a lot of the cases, which is very important, people who are a little bit more skilled. Mm -hmm. uh, I think than, than just your you know average investigator, and these are people who are chosen by Catling and Rich Valdez. The whole purpose of the paranormal clergy is for me to create a network of organization of people who I can trust, and they can trust me, and then need to step away from it and then assist the teams. And it finally got to that point about you know last year or so where I was able to say, okay, now I can step away and be exactly what I should be, which is assisting. And so Catling and Rich Valdez are the ones who chooses the teams. We actually have a profile on Catling in our current issue of Paranormal Underground Magazine. I and that yeah, that yeah. So um, if you know, I'm sure people can go to your website if they want to get to know you better and your team better. Or they can um, go to our October 2013 issue. There's a Q&A with Cat in there that's pretty detailed. And um, so. As far as when you, let's say someone calls the paranormal clergy and they ask for help, is the process to, um, to assist them uh, lengthy or can you get to it pretty quickly? How, what's the, what, what kind of volume do you have as far as requests for help? Oh, we have a lot of requests. And so what, what they do is once they send an email to the paranormal clergy, and the thing is, is they also send you know, emails to my Facebook, to, my, to the church account. I mean, I get so many emails. And so all, all of those emails have to go through Catling and Rich Valdez. And okay. they, they sift through all of those emails. And then they put it into our paranormal clergy affiliates closed Facebook page. And so then the affiliate team that is closest to the area will say, we'll pick it up. And then they pick it up. They do the investigation, they contact the client, they do the investigation, and then they come back and report what they found. If it warrants, if, if they say, okay, look, there's something going on, we can't explain it, we're uncomfortable, and we don't feel comfortable going into this house any longer, the clergy gets involved. Okay. Okay. And what, what is it like if you have to tell someone who comes to you for help that, you know, you, you, is there times when you can't help them? You have to tell them sorry, but we're we're not able to help you in this case. You know, and the big one of the biggest problems that we have, and the one thing that breaks my heart the most is there have been cases that I feel that have been legitimate, mm -hmm. but I just couldn't get to them. I mean, I haven't won the oh, lottery yeah. yet. I keep hoping and praying that one day I will, because then I can travel all over the United States mm -hmm. and help people. But that's yeah. just not feasible. And the, that, that's the biggest problem is to, is to have to tell someone, I can't get there. And so then what you have to do is try to network with other clergy members in that area and ask them 
uh, have you talked to your pastor? I mean, let, let's, I'll, I'll work with your pastor. I'll do whatever I can do in, from, from my geographical uh, distance, but, but sometimes you just not, you can't do anything. Yeah, sure. So there's a lot of, um, let's just call it collective information swirling around about demonology. There's things that people believe to be true and where they've gathered this information. I have no idea. I don't know if it's urban legend or if it's real. Uh, you know, things like you can't call a demon by name or it summons it, things like that. What are some of the biggest misconceptions or myths out there that people tend to believe about this stuff? Well, actually, that, 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 about 10 years ago, I'm the one who was telling people, stop using demonic entities' names. I mean, okay. Stop. So that's um, real. That is real. Hey, Cheryl? Yes. That's why you don't use a demonic entity's name. Ah. So now you are aware of me, and I am now aware of you, and now we have a communication. So you can't speak it out loud, but what if you actually leave it alone? It? Just leave them. Just, the thing is, is leave it. Once you form that communication, once you begin to recite the name, then that opens the lines of the possible portal or communication, and then you're going to get its attention. Oh well, don't want to do that. So, but are there some misconceptions that you've heard out there that people things that people think are true that just aren't? Oh, gosh, let's see. There's probably so many if I had a on top of my head. Um, <laughs> don't mean well, to put I, you on the spot. <laughs> well, I've, I've heard one person say that they were a demonologist, but they don't believe in God. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, <laughs> it's, it's out there. <laughs> um, let's see. I, mean, I can't think of anything as far as immediately on the top of my head as far as the misconceptions. If you've heard anything, I'd love to love to hear it. Um, oh, shoot. Um, so, okay. So I know that, like, people say that if you smell sulfur, that that means it's de demonic. Well, it could be, uh, but that's something about the lake of... It's a reference to revelations in the lake of sulfur. Uh, so that, that's a possibility, but not always. Okay. Um, okay, so um, the show you've been on with Ghost Adventures, I know that Zach Bagan says that when there are three scratches, it's mocking the Trinity. I told him that. Yep. So that's, that's true. Okay. Well, uh, under his, in his circumstances, when he, he came to the church and he showed me the scratches, he said, what are these? Can you please tell me? I said, well, sure, I can tell you. And after I looked at them and I absolutely verified because an, an, an exorcist will know whether or not they're self-inflicted or, in fact, if it's a demonic. Okay. And so based on what I saw and what I actually even saw when he was with me um, and everything, I, I told him, to, you know, Zach, these are the markings of the Trinity. And what you have, been, there's no question in my mind that either a malevolent demonic spirit has attacked you. No question. And based on what I am seeing here, I would say a demonic entity has attacked you. Because there's no way it was self-inflicted, because, not because of the other location on the body, but because of other issues that um, I've been trained to notice. Okay. So is Bobby Mackey's um, demonic or malevolent? Uh, uh, there's no question it's demonic. There, there's demonic activity there. Um, I, I look, and I tell people this all the time. I don't work for Bobby Mackey's. I don't work for Ghost Adventures. So... I, there's no, there's no reason, and I don't get paid for this ministry. Uh, I don't get paid a dime. Nothing. As a matter of fact, I pay to go to conferences to bless people and give lectures. Now think about that for a moment. How ridiculous is that? But I do. 
So I have no reason whatsoever, none at all, to lie to people about what I experienced. I'm not going to be a walking billboard for Bobby Mackey's. I'm not going to be a walking billboard for Ghost Adventures. I will tell people exactly what I experienced and what I didn't experience. And there absolutely is no question from my experience that uh, Bobby Mackey's had demonic activity. I don't know if they still do because I haven't been there in a while. I am going to just point out uh, now that you actually wrote about this topic, about your experiences with the Ghost Adventures team and the show for our October issue. So I just want to point that out if you know anyone wants to go and read that. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. Check it out. <laughs> I plan but, to. But, you know, people say that, a lot of people say that, you know, paranormal TV is faked or, you know, frauded in some way. And, you know, it may well be at times, but when your experience, it sounds like what happened was a true a representation of what you actually experienced. I've done three episodes with the guys on Ghost Adventures, and I will tell you this very plainly, just as I tell anybody else. And again, I, I'm not an employee of Ghost Adventures. Everything that they captured, I verified. And a matter of fact, there were things that we captured that they did not put on TV because it was so incredibly sensitive, very emotionally sensitive to the guys. So they actually cut it back. There were some things that occurred there that were that was like, okay, we're not dealing with with the level of human spirit here because there's too much. This is this is this is too much here. Uh, and I'm not going to go into detail because they have chosen not to sure. divulge that. Fine, but I'll tell you there there were some things that uh, was was it was pretty intense. Wow. So I know a lot of investigators, regardless of what their um spiritual or religious beliefs are take some things on them on with them on investigations like crosses or rosaries or holy water uh, if you don't have the belief that supports those things can they still offer any level of protection well if you don't have the belief then there's no reason to use them because actually that that would be um uh, that would be you know desecrating really the the sacramentals of the church they're called sacramentals and so okay. if you're wearing a rosary, if you're using holy water and you don't believe in it, then the perfect woman, the, the, the question then is what's the intent? I mean, if the, if the, if the paranormal investigator is throwing holy water around, they don't believe it's holy water, then what's their real intent? Are they doing it for showboating? Right. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. So I, I look at the person's intent and find out, well, then if you don't believe in the rosary, if you have no faith in it, then why are you wearing it? So what's the real reason behind it? What's the intent behind wearing the rosary then? And so, but on the flip side of that, for people who actually do believe, that those are called, like I said, sacramentals, whether it be incense or holy water, etc. And when you're using holy water, paranormal investigators need to stop throwing it around like it's tap water. Because it's a religious object. And so, and furthermore, not only that, but if you truly do come with a demonic infestation case, a real demonic infestation case, and you're throwing holy water around all the way around, well, what do you think is going to happen when you obviously make contact with an evil entity or a demonic entity? You're going to have a reaction because that's provoking. Right. You know, beating your chest and saying, come on, demon, you know, beat me up, I dare you. That's not provoking. They're just looking at you and laughing at you. But you start praying and you start using sacramentals of the church and now you're provoking. And, and I've been saying this for years. People have got to learn. Demonic entities provoke back. 
so... But they do it... What? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, they, they provoke back, but they do it on their own time. So okay. when you're saying, come on, you know, demonic entity, I dare you push me or hit me or something. And they're looking right at you face to face, within inches of your face, saying, I will. I will when you're sick and when you're lonely, when your wife or husband leaves you, when you lose your job, when you're hurt, when you're in the hospital. That's when I'm going to provoke you. So they got people got to understand, they provoke back. So, now, provoking is a really serious thing in the paranormal field, and I just want to talk about it real quick. In fact, we've talked directly to the Ghost Adventures guys, um, including Aaron, who, who joined us on our show for an interview and talked about how it po provoking possibly could have affected him long term and affected his life, uh, you know, away when he's not even investing. Well, he believes it ended his marriage. Right. Yeah. I, I have no doubt. Based on based on Bobby Mackey's um, things that occur, there's no question. Okay. So for our listeners who maybe are thinking about getting into paranormal investigation, do not provoke, correct? <laughs> well, provoking is just stupid. Uh, here, here's a couple things you got to think about. You know, when you start provoking, number one, if you're in a, if you're in a, if, if you think about this from a moral standpoint, okay, you know, if, if you're at a place where it's just a human haunting and you're provoking, what are you really provoking? What are you really doing? It's a human spirit. Right. And you're, and you're, 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 you're talking rudely to a human spirit. Well, I mean, uh, what's the point of doing that? Why? It's right. a human spirit for God's sakes. Now, a demonic entity, if you start provoking and pumping your chest and beating your chest, come on, I dare you to do something, fine. Then you, something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then when it does, don't scratch your head and wonder why it did. Yeah. Was that your second question, Cheryl? Yes. Oh, okay, I wasn't sure. So. <laughs> yeah. You said you had another. I had one, and it just went right out of my mind as I was ta as you were talking about the provoking. Oh. Well, I I did have another question, and it's re I, it's regarding demons. And I wanted to ask Bishop Long, how, how do you respond to people who say there are no such thing as demons in the con uh, in the context of uh, fallen angels? That that's just there's no such thing. You know what? I I learned a long long time ago that my job is not to convince you that demons exist. My job is to help the families who know they do. Mm -hmm. okay. And when I learned that, I learned that lesson a long time ago because I was trying, because of the things that I have seen and the things that I have witnessed, and I was trying to convince people and, and, and do whatever I got to do. And I just found that my blood pressure was high, my stress level was out the roof, mm -hmm. and I was, you know, I was at the Eucharistic prayer one time, and I was so stressed out, Eucharistic adoration, and I was like, well, what am I doing wrong? And then finally, it just kind of dawned on me. So, you know, James, you're not here to prove that demons exist. You're here to help the families who know they do. Be at peace with that. Cool. So... I get a, qu a question that I get a lot is um, how do you reconcile your belief in God with what you do in the paranormal? Now, I have a, an answer that I give for that, but I'd like to hear what yours is. Well, reconcile my, when you say reconcile my faith with God because I'm in the paranormal? Yeah, people, people seem to think that working with the paranormal is somehow not godly work. <laughs> well, you know, I just usually smile at those people and say, okay, and pat them on the head and move on. You know, <laughs> here's the deal. Um, 
because they're referring to Deuteronomy 18 verses 10 to 11. And, you know, so as far as psychics and all that stuff. But the problem yeah. is, is these people, I have a doctorate in ministry, and the problem is, is when the people try to bring up religion to me and, and biblical, biblical history, then I kind of give them a little lesson. And then after I give them a little lesson, they're kind of stumped. And they look at me with this, like, deer-in-headlight look, and then I just say, next question. Because the problem is they don't know the history. They have no idea what the history is as to why these passages were written. No clue whatsoever. And so when you finally do, you know, speak to them, um, then sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't. The fact of the matter is, is I go in and I help families who are legitimately frightened. I have, I've, had, I've had doctors, I've had lawyers, I've had police officers. I've had a police officer who would not allow his family to return to his home because of the activity that's occurring. I go in, I help the home, how is that evil? Right. So right. the whole idea of the whole idea of of you know being in the paranormal field and psychics and all this other stuff. If you know your history and you know the Torah and you, you know the the history as to why they were written, then you're very much at, I'm very much at peace with what I do. Good. Well, well, so am I. Um, what is the responsibility? Do you think that? Um, not necessarily even you, but just any investigator who gets called into a home where something is happening, where people are frightened enough to call an investigator. There's one show where they show up and they say, we're here to help, but I've never seen them do anything other than, you know, take recordings, and I'm not sure that helps. So what is it? What do you think the responsibility of people who come into these homes is as far as helping? You've got to be pastoral. Um, again, that's something I've been seeing as well for years. You've got to be pastoral. You know, the people are willing to, they're opening the doors, they're looking at paranormal investigators with, with extreme hope, and, and that these people who have devoted, allegedly, their, their time and lives into the study, that they're going to help them. And, and so when you walk into someone's home, you have to be pastoral. Fine, use all the little gadgets all you want. And that's, that's all good. But those gadgets mean nothing if you just take the evidence and then walk out the door, leaving the family thinking, now what do we do? Right. Now those gadgets have been used for evil and not for the good. So you have to, I would strongly suggest paranormal teams to have people who are the tech gurus. Fine, there's nothing wrong with that. Capturing that evidence is good. But also have somebody there who is sympathetic, who is there for the, for the family, who's going to assure the family that they're going to be okay, they're not going to be abandoned. You've got to have point people. You've got to have those people that set all the little stuff up, and that's fine. But you also got to, you should assign, assign somebody a role who is, whether it be a psychic, whether it be an empath, whatever, whoever it is, that the person can be sympathetic to the family and listen to them and talk to them and assure them that it's going to be okay. Now you're being pastoral. And how, that's, that's, that's the most important thing you can do. How can a, a paranormal group follow up on a case like this? What, what can they do to make a difference? Well, certainly, here's what they shouldn't do. They shouldn't just run into a home, get the evidence, and say goodbye, and then post the evidence all over the Internet and pat each other on the back. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that is one thing that they should not do. What they should do is always follow up with the homeowners. And all right, now we, you've got the person you've assigned as being more of the pastoral individual, and the team has discovered evidence. And, but, but here's the problem. 
you, you walk out and, and then the homeowners are thinking, okay, now what? You have to assure the homeowners that you're going to get back with them immediately. And that, because it's, it's not, you can't pull, look, I know how long it takes going through evidence. I sat through all, I get it. I, I do it myself. And it takes forever. But while investigators are reviewing that evidence, the, the, the homeowners are still terrified. Mm -hmm. So the person who is the pastoral point person needs to always be in contact with the family. Always. And assuring the family that the evidence is being reviewed immediately. And that they will then okay, proceed with how they feel that the family should proceed so they can take care of whatever situation is. Whether it be debunking it or whether it be getting now their pastor involved or, or, or other clergy involved. In the end, if the team goes through all of those steps and they come to a conclusion where they, are, they do not have the knowledge um, uh, or expertise or whatever you want to call it to, to help the family long term, what do they need to do then? they got to find somebody who has that knowledge. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, 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 for example, a, uh, just a family, a family doctor, family practice doctor, you know, he, he does um, simple things. You know, if you have a throat, sore throat or uh, appendicitis or, or something like this where he can actually help the family. But he's not a brain surgeon. Mm -hmm. Right. So someone who comes in and says, I, okay, I need brain surgery, the family practice doctor is not going to say, well, sit right here on the on the flat right there. We'll start doing the surgery right now. So it's the same principle. You've got to find somebody who actually is experienced and knowledgeable in that particular field of study. And that's the sign of an intelligent, caring, pastoral team. It's when they can say, okay, we've done all we can do. We're not, we don't have the knowledge here on this particular, whatever it might be, whether it be poltergeist, whether it be elementals, whether it be demonic entities, we don't have that knowledge. And so therefore, let's bring in somebody who does. That's an intelligent pastoral team. So what do you think is either your responsibility or the responsibility of investigators to, if, if they've experienced a true haunting, what is their responsibility to the spirits in that location, the souls of other humans? Well, certainly, uh, if you're dealing with a, just a, a human haunting, a, a human presence that means no harm, then there is a deliverance prayer that you can do. Now, you wouldn't perform the matter right or exorcism on uh, a human spirit that just simply has remained within a home for a variety of reasons. So a deliverance prayer is what, what, you know, what laity can do as well. Pray for the deceased. You know, pray for asking for the forgiveness of sins. Pray for the intercession of the, the, the guardian angels to guide them to heaven, to lead them to heaven, to, to let them know that it's okay to let go. So that's, that's really, it's a beautiful, it's quite a beautiful experience. Um, but I always tell people that you can't force anybody. The idea uh, drives me crazy. It's like you say, well, I'm going to force this yeah. person to the light. Go to the light. You're going to sit down and you're going to be quiet. That's what I tell them. <laughs> you're going to force anybody. You're going to sit down, humble yourself, and realize, get off the cross and let Jesus have a try. Because it's so arrogant. Arrogant for anybody to sit there and say they're going to send somebody to the light. It is unbelievably arrogant. Because here's the deal. When we pass away, heaven is not forced upon us. Heaven is presented to us. 
because if heaven is forced upon us, it violates the free will, the gift that God gave us. If the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the universe, doesn't force heaven on us, then how the hell is this little psychic over here, this alleged psychic thing, that they can do it? It's so absurd, and it's theologically unsound. I agree with you, actually, so thank you. Okay, Cheryl, you, had, you said you had two more questions. Well, the first question has to do with protection, and I was wondering, uh, Bishop Long, how do you protect yourself when you go into a case, and what types of protection would you recommend for a paranormal investigator to use when they go into a case? This is, when I get involved with cases, they're usually, you know, obviously, demonic in nature possession. And, and I, I'm going to be very frank with you here. How I protect myself is humbling my state of mind, my being, and knowing that, that I am, I'm a vessel of God, and that because of that, and because of the dangers of you know, getting involved in these cases, that I understand that I could get hurt. And you have to, you have to be very, very careful with pride. Because there's a lot of people who say, well, I, am, I have the armor of God on, so therefore no demon can hurt me. That's pride. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I would caution people a lot to never think that way. Because when you get involved, if you get involved with a demonic case, understand that you put the armor of God on, but at the same time, if you're not trained for this, then that, that you're, you're going to have some very serious problems. No question about that at all. None. none. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I do, of course, you know, they do pray to St. Michael, but I also pray, you know, to, to uh, my aunt who passed away, and uh, I have a very strong spiritual relationship with my aunt. And so, you know, I, I, I just, uh, for me, uh, there, there's a two-week, you know, requirement of fasting, of prayer, Eucharistic adoration that we're required to do, along other things as well. Um, we have to be very careful. So with us, there's a whole ritual. Um, the exorcism is a ritual before we get involved in, in demonic possession cases. So have you ever had a demonic case that you couldn't resolve? I've had, well, as far as possession, I've performed 27 uh, exorcisms, and they have uh, been successful, and I thank God for that. Now, the minor right of exorcisms, I've performed the minor right of exorcism in which the demonic or, or a malevolent spirit return, um, and that, is, that has happened, so I've gone, I've had to go back and perform the minor right again. How, so that yeah. yeah, how can you truly determine if it works or not? What, what do you do to, to verify that? Well, there are things that, that I will do, um, that people who are trained in this field or exorcists, we do certain things that we don't inform, not even the client. Um, once the, once the, the place has been cleansed, uh, then of course they, we get the family to help, the spiritual help, because they have to have spiritual ongoing help as well. Um, but then we will do things that we, we don't make known uh, to determine whether or not if, if it was successful. So you don't just perform the, the, the rites and then walk away. There's a long process that goes on after that. There is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then again, you know, um, without doing too much, we, we, there are things that we do um, that will determine... Yeah, there, there are things that we do to, to make sure that um, if it were to happen again, we would know. Okay. 
So does the church have some system of follow-up care for people and families who have been involved in something like this? Well, the church in general, the biggest issue is the family has to, you know, the family has to get involved in their own recovery as well. They have to be active as well. Sure. And so we, we can't do everything for people. So if we're willing to spend our time, our money to travel great distances to get to these, you know, these houses and these families without charging a penny at all, then we are going to be requiring that the families have to participate as well. And their long-term spiritual help is, is required, so they need to get involved with their community, local community, with a pastor, with a spiritual director. They need to absolutely got it, because it takes a toll, especially when you're dealing with possession. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with possession, that's absolutely mandatory. Because the, the, and not only for the possessed, but also for the family members who saw their family members deteriorate rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it takes a horrible psychological and spiritual toll on families. Because sure. the number one cause of death for someone who's possessed is malnutrition de dehydration. Oh. Um, the, you, you were asking earlier about the exorcist, and, you know, is there any truth to it? Well, the, the, the regurgitating actually is, is very true. Not the pea soup, obviously, but, but the right. regurgitation is absolutely valid. And because when a person is in a possessed state, the demonic will not allow any substance of life to enter the body, like food or water. Oh. And so when you try to, when a person becomes dehydrated, you're trying to hydrate them. Even a little bit of water or a tiny bit of food, they become violently, violently ill. And so that's why you need someone who's medically trained there with you. Wow. Well, um... I know that our time is, is about to uh, wrap up here, and before we go, I wanted to ask you about an initiative that you started called Para University. Can you talk about the organization's mission and offerings? You know, yeah, and I appreciate you asking. One of the things that I, I go to conferences and I talk to people, and they all, I hear this all the time, we need more education, we need more education. I mean, this, it is constant. Mm -hmm. And I, I usually just shake my head in agreement and say, yeah, I agree. And, and I got to a point where I was like, you know what, James? You used to be a dean of a college. You used to be a college professor. You have a, a degree in curriculum design. So start creating things. Stop just nodding and agreeing and actually do something about it. Because, I, I, I mean, we all, having all agreement is one thing, but now somebody's got to take the lead and, and say, okay, let's, let's fix this problem. And I try to do it in my own, you know, little, little tiny way. Um, so I'm offering a demonology course, and then I offer, uh, there's going to be other courses that we're adding. So, you know, I, I just want to get that education out there. And there's always going to be critiques. Well, someone's going to criticize, I, and I don't care. Um, but the fact is, is I'm doing whatever I can to offer uh, education to the community at large because it is so desperately needed. Well, That's it's appreciated, too. Yeah. So I wanted to give you, just in this last couple of minutes, that we have the opportunity to tell people how they can find you, any way they can find you, whether it's Facebook or websites or conferences. So give us what you got. Well, of course, uh, InspireRadio.org. That is the radio network that I own, and that's strictly for inspiring people. We have a lot of shows on there, um, and we just like to inspire, have a good time. Uh, it's no, no drama. InspireRadio.org. 
and uh, facebook.com forward slash Bishop James Long. And if they need paranormal clergy help, they can uh, they can get that help as well at um, facebook.com forward slash paranormal clergy. But you know, I just you know, I appreciate you you know giving me the time to chat with you. I think the biggest thing for me is to be able to talk to people and give them a different perspective, a different theological perspective. Because it's so important because, at least from my perspective, Christianity, a lot of pastors have done a lot of damage to Christianity. A lot. Because of their judgmental ways. Mm-hmm. A whole lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that I do talk about in my lectures sometimes is um, people commit suicide. You know, the church always taught that people commit suicide or they go to hell. Because, right. you know, they, they, they think in their life. And I think that is the most ridiculous unsound theological crap I have ever heard in my life. And that's just Oh, thank you for saying that. That it, gives comfort to a lot of people who's had loved ones who've committed suicide. And I always tell people this. I said, I said you know, that's, that's just to scare people. That's just, I tell people, I said, let me ask you. Do you have, and I, I, I tell people, do you have children? They say, yes. Would you do anything in the world for your children? Absolutely. So have you read the prodigal son? Have you read that story where the son squandered everything and just completely violated the, the, the father's trust? And, and I mean, just did the worst thing you could possibly do. And then he came back and said, I have this feeding table that, that you give the swine. And what did the father do? The father then said, no, finest clothing, the, the, a gold ring. We're going to have a feast because you came home. That's the same principle with someone who actually commits suicide because they're not in the right state of mind. And if you would do anything in the world that you would could for your child, anything in the world, then what makes anyone? Why would anybody think that the Creator, who has more love for us than we can possibly imagine that we have for our own children, why would He do any less? And that's a great message. So, to me, I, I just Christianity is not about judgment. It's not about hatred. It's not about condemnation. It's about love and compassion throw everything else out love and compassion that's it and that is the perfect place to end bishop james long i hope that you'll come back again this has been an absolute pleasure talking to you and i've learned a lot well i appreciate thank you very much and uh and i appreciate the you know the time you spent with me allowing me the time to speak to your your listeners yeah we look forward to more of your articles in the magazine as well Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to that. Paranormal Underground, everybody. Paranormal Underground <laughs> net. What would Jesus do? All right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, right. Bishop Long. I really appreciate it. Have a sure, great rest you. of your day. Yeah. Thank you, Bishop Long. My pleasure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.
this is Hazy, and you're listening to the Hazy Radio Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. I'm Karen. With me tonight, instead of Rick, is Cheryl. That's where you say hey. Oh, my God. I said hey, but the problem was is I was on mute. <laughs> this is why I'm not the regular co-host. Oh, this is our producer, everyone. (laughs) So, um, great interview with Bishop James Long. Want to thank him again. Uh, You know, it it was some really fascinating stuff. Mm -hmm. And it made me think about demonology in ways that I never had. I mean, I've never really given it a lot of thought, but it Mm -hmm. gave me lots to think about. For sure. That's right. So, we have our next guest. She is a, is she a fairly new writer with the magazine, Cheryl? Yeah, she began writing for us a couple of issues ago in the magic and lore column and we've been um, talking about vampires in that column oh so Mari's love of vampires goes back to her tween years recently she has increased her vampire knowledge and expanded it to other paranormal beings her paranormal fiction pieces have been included in supernatural magazines and she also has a blog it's at www.mariwells.wordpress.com Mari Wells welcome to the show Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So, vampires. Now, when I hear of somebody saying that their their interest in vampires started in their tween years, I usually think that's because they read a certain vampire series. Now, that's not what happened with you, right? No, I'm older than the certain vampire series, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what 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 interested you in vampires when you were a tween? Uh, it probably started a little bit before I was actually a tween. Um, I'd want to watch scary movies with my friends, but I'd just get so scared, chickened out. But I could watch vampire movies, and it was the strangest thing, because I was like, since little, itsy-bitsy little girl, I'd always be a vampire for Halloween. It was just some strange thing and probably right about 12 years old I really got into it started really reading everything I could get my hands on and it's always been there and about two years ago I started writing a vampire novel and that one just kind of went okay well you know what we need to kind of switch out of vampires we need to add some other stuff in here so I started learning about witches and werewolves and just started going from there (laughs) Very good. So let's talk about vampires because I so I tend to think of vampires in three different ways. I think of um, vampires of lore, um, or you know, sparkly ones, um, or Dracula, like those old-fashioned ones. So that's the first way, kind of the the legend of the vampire. And then I think of um, goth kids that have gone a little further, that have these vampire societies. And, and my friend Joe Teeples has done actually a lot of research into actual people who live in these vampire societies. And then I think of the energy vampires, the people who just pretty much suck your energy mm-hmm. when you enter, enter a room. So when you're talking about vampires, is it one or all or some of those? My interest is mostly in the lore, like okay. Romania's vampires, Russia's vampires, um, gypsies' ideas of vampires. I do happen to know a few people who are actual energy vampires, real live actual energy vampires. Um, I try to stay away from them as much as I can. A few of them, I don't think they even know they are an energy vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, but my 
expertise, I guess is what we could call it, would be in the actual lore of vampires, the old Dracula and beyond him, his okay. originators. So let's talk about the early vampires. So when did vampires start appearing in in lore and legends, and why why did they start? That depends on where how far back you want to go. Some people say Lilith. I'm not sure if you know Lilith. Lilith, Lilith was supposed to be Adam's first wife. Mm-hmm. They call her the mother of vampires. Okay. Supposedly, um, Adam had Lilith, the first wife, and she refused to have um, sexual relations with him in the way he wanted it. So she ran away and came to a demon outside of Eden and had children with the demon. And those demons are the first vampires. Other people say Cain was the father of vampires. His children were vampires. Other people, um, they just kind of find a reason to explain things that are happening. Our crops are dying, so it must be somebody in our village who's got some evil power. Our animals are dying, so somebody has to be draining them. It's lots of little weird things that they're looking for a reason to explain it. Okay, so, see, I didn't realize it went back to biblical times, because, of course, the first vampire that I heard of was Vlad the Impaler. So he was way down the line, huh? Yeah, a lot of people say that he was the first vampire, but um, if you look really into his history, he never drank the blood of his victims. Some people try to um, exaggerate and say, oh yeah, he was drinking it out of wine glasses when he was um, impaling his prisoners or his people that he would impale. But there isn't real honest proof that he actually drank the blood. So there's that that they say he was. And that's where Bram Stoker got his idea of Dracula. Vad the Impaler's last name was Dracul, which is um, son of the dragon. And that's where Count Dracula came from. And that is where Bram Stoker got his idea for his Count Dracula. It was um, Vad the Impaler's generation, or his um, genealogical line that was his Dracula. There was also um, Bethry, Elizabeth Bethry. Mm -hmm. She would um, kill her maids and bathe in her, their blood. But there's no proof that she truly drank their blood either. She would just bathe in it because she thought it would help her keep a youthful look. Hmm. Oh, wow. So, Mari, you talk about um, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and that makes me think of the movie. <laughs> so, I was curious, how do you, what is your take on the movie, the, you know, the movies about vampires, and what do you find most entertaining about them, and are they even close to the lore that you've researched? Um, a lot of it will have that more current vampires can't go out in the sun, or uh, Bram Stoker's... Mm -hmm. Sorry, I got confused. <laughs> um, Bram Stoker's vampire wasn't really able to go out in the sun, but he did have one episode or one chapter where he was out during daylight. Most vampires are able to go out in daylight. Most of the old legends... A lot of them, you wouldn't even know they were vampires unless mm -hmm. you watched them drink somebody's blood. They would also eat food. Ooh. So that's kind of interesting. A lot of them are also OCD. I do have an article on my blog about vampires being OCD because they'd have to count rice. <laughs> like the count. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. 
And I loved the Count when I was little. He was my favorite character. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, you mentioned counting rice. You had mentioned that one of your recent articles, too, in the magazine. And uh, that struck me because then when they're busy counting rice, then you can just do away with them, right? Um, yeah, depending on how you think you can kill them, um, but you could run away. And it's not just rice. You could count, throw poppy seeds at them. There's one vampire from Europe somewhere. I can't remember off the top of my head that if you mix, um, owl talons with Mm -hmm. the rice, he'll have to count all over again and separate out the owl talon. He can only count his rice. Wow. So always keep some owl talents with your rice, just in case. <laughs> I'm going to Why not? go stuff some in my in my risotto rice right now, boy. So do you think that would work on zombies, too? I don't know. I'm just I joking. Cheryl, <laughs> if somebody is afraid of zombies, I'm just joking. Cheryl, it's like her biggest fear. It's my it's my biggest silly fear, zombies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing silly about it. Yeah. Um so as you were telling me some of these things, I started to think about kind of the so there's this conventional wisdom i'm talking pre-twilight conventional wisdom now um about vampires and i'm I'm gonna throw a few at you and you can tell me uh if there's actually where it comes from and um you know why why people think this and if it's if it's even true i suppose it's not true if it's lore but um okay so like Vampires can't be around garlic. They can't look at themselves in the mirror. And they sleep in coffins. What else, Cheryl? What other conventional wisdom? What are the vampire stereotypes you can come did, up with? Did you already mention the garlic? I said garlic. You already said garlic. Oh, darn. Yeah, I know. Um, sorry. Yeah, they can't go out in the daylight, obviously. Oh, um, yeah. She, burn she, up she and got die. that one already. And um, what else is there? They can only be um, staked in the heart or maybe have oh, their heads right. cut off um, yeah. to kill them. So those are a few that come start, to mind. Start smashing our myths, Mari. Okay, garlic comes from the fact that it's an antibacterial. It's mm-hmm. a preserver. So if you are dead flesh, you wouldn't want to be around that. Some places have that it won't work at all. They even eat garlic. I was going to huh. say, if I eat garlic, will they not drink my blood? It depends on if it's one of the vampires who doesn't like garlic. If they do like garlic, they might chase you even more. They might go, oh, you smell like garlic. All right, no garlic. <laughs> also, onions are supposed to help. If you don't have garlic on hand, onions help. But again, it depends on which lore you believe. Okay. okay. How about mirrors? Oh, mirrors yeah. come from the idea that because the vampire is a dead, reanimated body, he has no soul. So his reflection would not show up because he would have no soul to reflect his reflection. It's not necessarily true. That is another thing that I think it was Bram Stoker who came up with that idea. And it's just become common common myth. But I couldn't find anything about reflections in any of my research. All right. How about the sleeping in coffins? Again, um, because of being dead. All right. Most vampires, when they return to return back to life, I guess is the best way of calling it, will um, try to live a normal life so that way they wouldn't be sought out. And most of the time, no one would know they were a vampire. What would happen is they would come out of their grave and go to another village where they weren't known. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they were like a traveler or a foreigner to that village and nobody would suspect a thing. See, sleeping in a coffin just seems unnecessarily showy to me. Oh, I know. (laughs) 
can they yeah. turn into bats? Oh, Karen, this is a good one. Yeah, thanks. Some vampires actually can shapeshift. They can turn into bats, rats, wolves, or other animals, and others aren't able to. There is an aswag vampire from the Philippines who will... <laughs> My kids are listening and laughing. That's the craziest name. His name is Aswag. Yeah. I was trying to be an adult about it, so too. tell your kids thanks a lot. No. Um, this vampire can separate her upper body from her lower body, and then she grows wings. So she will be wings, a head, um, shoulders, arms, breasts, and entrails dangling out of her body Ooh. while she goes to hunt. Mm-hmm. That sounds yeah. lovely. Yeah. So just watch for just watch for something with entrails dangling. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting is if you can find her bottom half of her body and rub it with salt, when um, she comes back to it, she won't be able to use it anymore and she'll die in sunlight. Okay. So keep salt with you. <laughs> All right. Well, I, of course, I always have salt with you. Um, so Chad wanted to know about superhuman abilities. Do vampires have, like, you know, are they really strong or really fast? Or From what I've been able to find in my research, it, some of them say yes and some of them say no. Um, again, I think it's a real popular myth that um, most of us like and most of our um, vampire authors really like to do. Mm-hmm. But um, there are reasons to believe because they have survived death that they do have superhuman abilities. Mm. And how is it that they survive death? That um, No one is really able to actually explain that they, how they survive death. A lot of it happens to come from curses, a witch's curse, or um, they're the seventh son of a seventh son, so they've always been destined to be a vampire and come back from death. Hmm. Also, if you were born with teeth, or if you were born with your amniotic sac around your body still, that will um, cause you to become a vampire. Hmm. Okay. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, sorry. And then Cheryl said, and so is staking them in the heart the only way to kill them? Ancient lore says no. Um, A lot of ancient vampires actually have a heartbeat still. So staking them into the heart would possibly cause that idea to work, but with their superhuman abilities, they just pull the stake right back out, and they're super speedy healing they could heal right back up the best well, way that to would kill be a nifty vampire. that would be a nifty wow. skill to have okay the best way to kill one would be to chop off its head and burn both pieces separately oh my gosh mm. then the the lady who wrote the twilight stuff actually had something right a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> not the sparkly part but the cutting them in half and and you know burning them wow i think that yeah. that was maybe i didn't read that in, in her book maybe i read that somewhere else i anyway. believe she does have that um they have to be burned but i'm not sure if it was necessarily ripping off their heads <laughs> so the vampires only problem, are, go ahead 
the only problem, if you were to set a vampire on fire at that moment, with their speediness, they could come right back out of the fire and reheal. So they have to have their heads separated from their bodies, so that way there's enough time for them to search for their head, to actually put their head back on their body, and then to oh heal. And by that time, hopefully the fire has consumed most of their body, that it would actually kill them. Vampires are kind wow. of badass. They are. Yeah. They are. Yeah. So, so oh, oh good. Elaine had a question. Oh, yeah. That's what oh. I was just going to say. Go ahead. Oh, then you go ahead. Oh, well, she, I thought she had a good question, actually. Let's say we're out on the street. How can we identify who's a vampire? How are we going to know? There really isn't any way to know anymore. Great. It could, I could wear a mirror around my neck and, <laughs> there and mirror glasses that look in the mirror, in the double mirror system, or would that, like, counteract the not being able to be seen? Be like a double-legged... But on the reflection, not or not having a reflection, is only if you believe that the vampire doesn't have a soul anymore. Oh. If the soul has stayed inside of the vampire's body for whatever reason, then he would cast a reflection. And also, our bodies are physical matter, so physical matter would cast a reflection even if you didn't have a soul. Shoot, uh, Elaine, you're out of luck. The only way to tell would be to like bleed and see if they go crazy. Well, I could just yeah. run around and say and ask everybody, excuse me, are you a vampire? Excuse me, are you a vampire? <laughs> I don't <laughs> that, know how no, well that I, would that work. I wouldn't be carted off or anything. No. Yeah. All right. So, um, and you have stuttered, stuttered, you have studied other mythical creatures as well, such as, question mark, what other creatures oh, have you studied? <laughs> um, witches. I find okay. it very interesting that um, there's also vampire witches. Witches who were witches in life but are condemned to become vampires in death because of all of their evil doings. Or witches who decided they wanted to be more powerful so they've cast a spell on themselves or taken a potion to make themselves vampires. Hmm. Or it's really interesting how we can get vampires into witches and witches into vampires. Another thing is um, werewolves. If you were a witch in life, or a werewolf in life, you would become a vampire in death, as believed from a lot of ancient um, cultures. Really? I'm, I'm really nervous. <laughs> oh, you're doing Aww. great! Yeah, don't be... Don't be nervous, it's just us. Cheryl and I are both drunk, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're really not drunk, it's sad that we kind of seem like we are, I but... Trying to, I was trying to relax. <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I have a question about just, you know, vampires and witches and, and that kind of thing in general. It's actually not my question. Okay, it's Chad's question. He wants to know how you can research or become an expert in these types of legends and lore about vampires and and witches. You can read Maurice's column. Hey, good idea. Chad, <laughs> you can read my column and you can go to my blog. <laughs> I have yeah. a weekly vampire post on my blog every Wednesday. I call it Vampire Wednesday. Okay. And I um, explain or talk about either some things that vampires do, like their OCD on rice, or I talk about different vampires from different parts of the world, and also my column. They're mm -hmm. on Paranormal Underground. I've started um, one monthly article on witches. I call it the witching hour. And oh, cool. the past two months, I've got a werewolf article mm -hmm. now coming up on my blog. Yay. It's called read that. The Wolf's Moon. Okay. And I do it oh, on the full moon. <laughs> oh, that's oh, neat. Oh, listen to you. That's very good. 
So do you recommend any specific books um, that people can check out if they're interested in these types of legends? That's a tricky question. <laughs> well, that's what we were, we were aiming to <laughs> Cheryl, you, you, you get a point for tripping her up. Good girl. <laughs> no, I'm, I was yeah. just curious if you if you had any any particular books that you would recommend to someone that you If know, somebody that would be wanted good. to become a vampire expert... Where did they start? I mean, besides your column and stuff. Um, Where did you start? I started watching a lot of movies. And thinking, okay, well, why does, why does everybody agree on a vampire only coming out at night? And um, then I would, like, search online. Mm-hmm. And for a while, there wasn't very much that I could do because, well, there was no online when I started. Um, and at the time when I started, there wasn't a lot of books, but if you go and look in your library, mm-hmm. you can start coming across some, unless you live in a very men- tightly mental area, where they're mm-hmm. like, oh no, you can't do that, you can't study that. Where yeah. I live currently, there's okay. like one vampire book in the oh whole library, God. besides Twilight. Well, um, you... You bring up a good point because, I mean, some people don't even want to touch the subject because, you know, they think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad thing or it's of the devil. Um, do, you, do you come across that kind of attitude a lot? Uh, you know, do you get feedback like that from people who read your, your work? Um, when I started out, I had one or two people who uh, did mention something like, how do you know all of this? where do you go and who told you mm-hmm. but it wasn't like i picked it up as some kind of attack almost because it wasn't a nice oh. way that they were trying to say it it was okay. kinda, people on the internet are never nice well very <laughs> sometimes they are but not very often yeah i also so, had somebody um say how could you stake a vampire they never did anything to you <laughs> oh, oh my well, gosh that, yeah, that you know of um yeah. so my friend Patty just texted a question for you, and she wants to know if she, if you think that there are real blood-sucking vampires. Yes. You of do. course I do. I have to. Okay. Um, are you, you can expand on that. Probably not like what we think are real, ex- real blood-sucking vampires. I think it's like how you said goth kids who got a little bit out of control and want so badly to be a vampire or a little fetish that's within a couple or a group of people that they kind of like, let me lick your blood. That gets me off. That sort of a thing. Um, I don't really think there are any vampires that have to drink blood to survive in our world or none have actually come to contact me yet. Well, if we, if we come across any, we will definitely have them call you. All right. <laughs> you you got to admit, that'd be kind of cool. That'd be like the ultimate get to interview somebody who, somebody like that. So when you're talking about witches, now, um, witches is a kind of a general term, but there's a religion, Wicca. It, that's not what you're talking about when you're talking about the lore of witches, correct? I do try to keep Wicca in mind when I do speak of witches. So far, what I've done on witches is always in a good light. 
because I do know, I know a few people who do classify themselves as witches. They don't classify themselves as Wicca, they're pagans or heathens, is what they'll call themselves. Mm-hmm. But um, they don't go out like what we normally see on TV and say, oh, well, you bumped into me today, so I'm going to curse you with moles. Or you cut me off in, in line uh, at the red light, so I'm going to break down your car and you're going to have warts for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, I think that is fun for writers to do. Right. So um, what I say as witches is Wicca is pagan is our idea of evil witches, although I haven't gotten into writing evil witches yet. Um, and I'm trying to help portray them in a good light. Because I know a lot of witches are always saying that they're seen as devil worshippers or they're seen as Satan's worshippers and evildoers when really they're very, um, very nature oriented. Yes. Yes, earth based spirituality. And they believe that when they put something negative out, it comes back to them threefold. Correct. Right. They also have, and their weekend read, a do no harm. So yes. if it could cause harm mentally or if anything that you do causes harm to anybody else in any way they would try not to do it to not cause harm because it would come back to them threefold even if it was unintentional right okay well i just wanted to make that clarification because i know we do i have a lot of friends who are wiccans and um you know and we have a lot of readers and listeners who are as well and so Mm -hmm. i wanted to make the clarification that when you're talking about witches you're talking about halloween witches Essentially, um, or like what what a kid would dress up on in Halloween with the black hat and the broom, correct? No, I'm talking of a large scope of witches. I'm talking about that, um, the black hat, the green skin. Although that yeah, yeah, yeah. still bothers me, green skin. Um, I'm talking about Wicca. I'm talking about pagan. I'm talking about people who believe um, their tree in their backyard can speak to them. I'm talking about people who believe that um, lavender will help you go to sleep, who believe in the power of herbs. Um, who oh, believe, well, I do. <laughs> I do, too. Yeah. Um, so I, it's a very, very, very large scope that I talk about when I'm talking about witches. Okay. And I'm always trying to portray witches in a good light because I think they've had enough bad light, enough evil doing, enough Satan worshiping. When that's not sure. the case. Sure. Absolutely. Or I always the case. Yes, I appreciate that. And Chad wants to know, and I'm not exactly sure what he means. I'll let you interpret <laughs> what he's asking. His question is, what about warlocks? That's it. That's the question. You can interpret that any way you will. Okay. Um, I don't use warlock. I use wizard for a male witch or a male witch. A warlock, um, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head where it comes from, but it was considered a traitor. Oh. So male witches do not appreciate being called warlocks because you're calling them a traitor. They prefer wizard or witch or just witch. Hmm. She interpreted that pretty well. I think so. That's a good answer. (laughs) I hope he's pleased with the answer. (laughs) We don't care if he is or not. It's all right. I think he is, actually. All right. Um, He's sitting across from Cheryl. Yeah. Yeah. He went, oh. (laughs) So there you go. Um, I have a question that goes back to vampires. It's from Dave Burke, and he's one of our listeners. And he wants to know about the vampire 
scene in New Orleans. What do you know about that scene there in New Orleans? And if you, what do you, what's your opinion on it? I don't have much expertise on real live vampires or people mm -hmm. who want to be real live vampires. So I would not really comment on it because I'm not that knowledgeable about it. I don't want to say something and then go and look into it and then go, oh, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. Well, he was um, saying that there seems to be some pretty hardcore real vampire activity going, well, claims of this going on there in that location and that oh. they have their own clubs and that, you know, if you go Dave, into these clubs. I, I, I have and, an answer for you, Dave. Oh, you ahead. need to go find an author named Joe Teeples. It's T-E-E-P-L-E-S. We should have him back on the show, by the way, Cheryl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Dave has written... Um, he's writing a series of books, and he has done serious research into the vampire underground. Cool stuff. So, All right. there you go, Joe Teeples. So, uh, didn't mean to, you know, promote another writer Well. We That's all right. Worries, I was just going to do it, too. I was just going to do it, too. I was going to say um, it might have to do with Charlene Harris's Suki Stackhouse. They're from, not really in New Orleans, they're from Louisiana, and the vampire has, like, a vampire club. Isn't that like an HBO show that she's on, that she, that she's a character on, or Showtime? Um, it was a series, a book series, and it did pretty well, so they did turn it into an HBO series, True Blood. That's what it was called, yeah. But their, her vampires are mostly settled in Louisiana, so Louisiana and New Orleans, and New Orleans with all of its magic and voodoo and all of that history, I think there would probably be a very big vampire group there. <laughs> Although, I'm not sure if they're real vampires or if they're just people who enjoy being vampires. All right. Mm -hmm. So, Mari, we okay. have reached the part of the show that we call Shameless Self-Promotion Corner. This is where you can um, tell our listeners... Anything that you'd like them to know about where they can read your work or find you or talk to you or, you know, whatever you want. We're easy. Okay. Um, you already mentioned my blog. It's mariwells.wordpress.com. And I've got a vampire column there. I've got some vampire authors that are going to be guest posting for me next month. I've got um, the witch column. And I've got a friend who is going to do a four-week episode for me or a series for me on Scotland's witches next month. Cool. And some werewolves. And I have some werewolf friends who are going to be guest posting for me in the next few months. So make sure you head over there in the next, starting at Halloween on for a while. Um, I'm on Twitter at MariWells4. Facebook, MariWells Author. And also, I have a website where I write for. It's called thedarkerhalf.com. It's a group of writers, and we all write together for that website. So there's thedarkerhalf.com, and we also have a Facebook page, thedarkerhalffacebook.com slash darkerhalf. That's pretty much where you can find me and everywhere else that I've written for or that I'm on besides the Paranormal Underground. Don't forget the Paranormal I Underground. I was Yay. waiting. <laughs> yeah. Is she going to say it? Is she going to say it? And actually, oh, an amazing thing, the Paranormal Underground agreed to run a short fictional story that I wrote. So next nice. month, not only will you have a vampire from me, but you'll also have a short fictional story. Does it have a vampire in it? Um, no, it has a strange being that I don't classify what he is. Very good. So, Mari, that wasn't so bad, right? 
I'm still nervous. <laughs> well, good news. Your pain is about to end. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome yes, back anytime. And thank, thank you. you for writing for the magazine. Thank you for having me and thank you for letting me write for you. I All really right. enjoy writing for you guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks Mari. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Okay. Bye. All Bye. right. Mari Wells, everyone. Everything you ever wanted to know about vampires but were afraid to ask. I still feel like I probably missed some of the myths and legends, but, you know. Well, there's a lot out there. To, it's, it's hard to separate mm-hmm. the, like, I don't want to say the real stuff, but kind of the ancient lore mm-hmm. from the more recent, recent. Yeah. dare I say, crap. <laughs> <laughs> dare you say. <laughs> Apparently I just did. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. So yeah. next week, um, Rick is, gets to be a little screaming fanboy. He does. He does. And this this um, guest was requested by Rick, and I contacted him on his website, and he graciously contacted me back. And so we're going to be speaking with Brad and Sherry Steiger next week, October 17th, 2013. And Brad and Sherry Steiger are authors of uh, numerous, um, I want to say over a hundred, maybe more than that, um, books about the paranormal, spiritual, and UFO phenomena, and more. And so we get to talk to them for about an hour. Mm-hmm. And um, I know Rick is extremely excited about that. And I am too. I'll be listening. But yes, you guys I'm going to be talking. quiet as little church mouse, as you know. I yeah, usually right. Am. Yeah. <laughs> sure you will. No. Um, but some of the titles... Um, of the Steiger's books are Mysteries of Time and Space, Real Ghosts, Restless Spirits and Haunted Places, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier, Touched by Heaven's Light, Project Blue Book, Strangers from the Skies, on and on and on. Good stuff. See, it's going to be cool. And then um, we're working on a guest for the second hour, right? We are. We are. I don't have confirmation for the second hour, but we are working on it right now. All right. Well, we won't promo that. And then the following week, is that that's not Halloween, the following week, is it? No, no, no. The following week is October 24th, and we'll be talking to Bill Bean, who will talk to us about the experiences he went through. Um, when he had to endure an extreme haunting and what him and his family had to deal with. He's written a book about it called Dark Force. Uh, His story has been profiled on many paranormal television shows, so you might have heard of it. So we'll be talking with him. Dark Force, I may have to download that. Yeah. um, We may... Oh, no, we we know we're going to be actually taking Halloween off. So there will be no show October 31st. Because, because we'll be Cheryl eating candy to be too busy and eating watching candy. scary movies. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that, folks. Nom, 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 nom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and I, of course, November 7th, Karen, it's your day of days. And yes, but I've already talked to him once, so I, yeah. I think that I'll be able to... I, I I barely remember what I talked to him about last time because I was so excited to be talking to him. Yeah. We're going to be talking to my um inspiration really for a lot of what i do and that's dr raymond moody of life after life fame it's his second go around one of the things that i'd really like to do in this next go around Mm -hmm. listeners is this i'd like to ask him some of your questions now if you don't know who dr raymond moody is he is um 
he researched, he's the guy that came up with near-death experience and categorized that and gave all the phases of it. And he's really the one who popularized that and realized that it was a phenomenon that was repeatable to some extent. And he's also done research in reincarnation and shared death experiences. And of course, now he does something that's absolutely amazing called a psychomantium. And it's where people come and they work with him for hours at a time. And mm-hmm. then he they he sits them in a room and they, they do almost like a scrying session. And they get in contact with dead loved ones. So I'd like to give you guys the opportunity to ask some of your questions. And I'd like you to send them to me. You can send them to me thusly. You can either email them to Cheryl, editor at paranormalunderground.net. You can post them on my Facebook page, which is, of course, Paranormal Underground. Or no, it's not. It's Facebook forward slash Karen Reisland Fraser, R-I-S-E-L-A-N-D-F-R-A-Z-I-E-R. Or... You can email them to me, and I'm going to give you my email address. It's Karen Frazier, F-R-A-Z-I-E-R, 1965 at Mac, M-A-C dot com. So any of those ways, you just send me or Cheryl mm-hmm. an email or contact us on Facebook. You can do it on the Paranormal Under, however you want. We'd like to collect some questions for Dr. Raymond Moody for when he comes on the show. That's going to be cool. Yeah, I mean, guys, this is this is your opportunity to pick the brain of, I think, just one of the giants in the field of afterlife research. Definitely. Yeah, so we'd like to allow you to do that. And, you know, what? Elaine has a list already. She said in chat, should I just email my uh, list? No, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Exactly. That's fantastic. I love Elaine because Elaine makes my job. I mean, I was singing Elaine's praises at the first of the Mm -hmm. hour, and now I'm going to do it at the end of the show. She makes my job so much easier because she gives me these neat lists of questions, you know, so I can just (laughs) check out and ask Elaine's question every once in a while if I need to. You know, like when I'm too drunk to do the show myself. Yeah. Chad, pass me that margarita. That's right. We have seven minutes left. You will be fine. All right. And then um, also we have another subject that's coming up in November that I'm really excited about. And that's the life between lives. Yes, that show will be on November 21st. And our guest, our guest is Bryn Blankenship. And she was actually referred to us by Dr. Michael Newton, my other Newton. he's my other other hero (laughs) yeah and he wasn't able to join us um because he is really was was really busy at the time i invited him but he says um uh, bryn blankenship is the person to go to to talk about life between lives hypnotherapy and other such subjects so she was kind to agree to come and talk to us about it well and so do you know um I bet our listeners don't know this, mm-hmm. that my very first book, which I actually co-wrote with somebody else, the mm-hmm. subject was, what? Life, Life Between the, Lives, yeah. Hypnotherapy. Yep. It's actually called Lessons of Many Lives, and the uh, the main author is, it's by Melissa Watts mm-hmm. with Karen Frazier, and um, she's a Life Between Lives hypnotherapist as well. And yeah, so I like that So that was actually book. the subject of, like, book. the mm-hmm. first book I, uh, the first book I didn't ghostwrite. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that book, it was, Karen. She was the first person that I wrote a, I, I, I wrote their mm-hmm. book. I mean, she told me what to write, but I wrote it. That's right. how we worked together. Right. Um, but she actually let me have my name. That's awesome. 
on lot, the book. Most ghost, yeah, most ghostwriting jobs, as you know, that doesn't happen. No, so. I've I have ghostwritten a large number mm-hmm. of books mm-hmm. that I can never claim, and it's so funny because when I when clients want a resume of what I've done, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like plus many ghostwriting clients that I can't tell you who they are because I have signed confidentiality agreements. I hear so, ya. It's I mean, and some of them are like major people. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a couple mm-hmm. that I would really like to claim because mm-hmm. those books went on to be very successful. Right. But I can't. But you can't. <laughs> so I won't. Nope. And Cheryl knows of what I speak. I do. Uh, <laughs> Darn those non-disclosure agreements. Uh, I know. It's a sad, sad state of affairs, but it this is. is what we do to make a buck. Yeah. That's right. So um, thank you so much to our guests tonight, Mari Wells and yeah. Bishop James Long. We have had a really great show, I think, for a couple of weeks before Halloween. What do you think? I, I, I totally agree. I've, I love it. Also, I wanted to mention that uh, Bishop James Long will answer questions in his Paranormal Underground Magazine column. If you want to email them directly to him, you can find him on Facebook. Or you can email your questions to me, editor at paranormalunderground.net. And I will forward those to him, but he will be taking questions. So I love, I, yeah, I'm loving it. We've got some great guests. It was a great show tonight. Don't tell Rick I said this, but we hardly missed him. Rick who? Yeah. But he will be back next <laughs> Just week kidding, so that Rick. he can giggle like an Just anime kidding. school girl. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's going to be fun. <laughs> it is going to be fun. And like I say, I plan to just sit back and, you know, I, I got a bottle of, I got a bottle of whiskey chilling. I'm ready. Do you drink I whiskey cold? Wait. I don't know. I don't drink whiskey at all. I don't either. That's why I realized oh. that I was probably a stupid thing to say. Right. I have like one drink. You know, I always joke on the show about being drunk. I have like one drink a month or less. So Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I don't drink. Maybe I'll drink once every six months it makes me dizzy. story i don't know why but it just makes yeah. me dizzy so yeah yeah all righty then folks this is the end of paranormal underground radio cheryl yes thank you so much for sitting in as my co-host you know oh. let's let's let the audience in on a little secret you almost had to do the whole thing yourself tonight. I, oh my gosh i did i was like freaking out karen texts me right before the show my computer won't start i can't come i'm like oh my god but thank goodness you made it because i don't know what i would have done without you Oh, thank goodness indeed. <laughs> All right. So, everybody, we will be back next week, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, and other times in the flyover states. Thanks for listening to Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. Y'all have a good night. Good night. You'd like to be a guest on Paranormal Underground Radio? Email editor at paranormalunderground.net. Until next time, keep exploring the unexplained at paranormalunderground.net. Please join us next week for Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network.